and joking too Sipping and roasting is what we do Light them up, drink them down Whiskey and cigars all around Cheers, y'all Well, 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 welcome, my friends, to this fine little radio program, Smokin' and Toastin'. It's the show that's all about craft beer, fine spirits, and hand-rolled cigars. It is show number 113, and we are uh, thrilled to have uh, Ian Barry and Adam on the Wheels of Steel and your old pal Cruz all gathered in the studio today for show number 113. We just keep going and no one stopped us I yet. know. No one stepped in and it's an it's, amazing thing. It's a thing. little bit of madness here. We are brought to you by the fine folks at B&B Butchers and Restaurant at 1814 Washington Ave in Houston and in the shops at Clear Fork in Fort Worth. All right, Ian, shortly after uh, the show ended last week... Um, News broke that stunned the spirits community. I was certainly uh, stunned and surprised. Yeah. Um, when we learned that Dave Pickerel, the master distiller uh, from Whistlepig, former master distiller at Maker's Mark, and guest on this show and friend of the show, uh, that he had passed away in San Francisco while he was there uh, doing actually an opening, uh, I believe, for the Metallica whiskey for, uh, for Blackened. Dave Pickerel was... Uh, honestly, we, we've done 112 of these shows, 113 this week. Yep. I can't think of a show we've done that I experienced more of this feeling than with Dave. You never know what to expect when you have guests on. Generally, most of our guests are, are, are terrific, and it's easy enough to get them to talk because they're talking about things mm-hmm. that they love. But. I knew from the first question we asked Dave, I just I kind of took my notes and just set them to the side because I was like, this show is going to carry itself. Oh, yeah. He's that kind of, he was larger than life. He uh, filled up the room, any room he was in. He just, you know, he just sort of stepped in. He had and that kind it. of presence that, yeah. He, he really did. And he, um, you know, he came across kind of like a homespun backwoodsy type oh, but totally. you know he was a west point graduate he hung out backstage with metallica all the time like he was just he was one of the most like genuinely humble and and i don't know interesting guys i think we've met in the spirits and you know cigar uh, one world of the, one of the funniest moments in that interview this was by the way show number 98 for reference if you want to go back and listen to it that was when we had dave on was show yeah, number 98, show number 98. Mm-hmm. one of the funniest moments in that in, uh, in that interview or in that um, time with that guest was when he started mm-hmm. talking about Metallica, and you could kind of tell that he was so happy to be talking about them, but he mm-hmm. didn't want to drop names, right? You know, he had that. He had that. You know, I don't want to be that guy, but I really want to talk about this kind of thing. And if it, it was, been it was me, awesome, yeah. I'd have been like, so I was hanging with Metallica. <laughs> you know, me and me and Lars were backstage, right. and I was saying, hey, uh, you know, he asked me which drumsticks do you think I should use, dude? You know, it, that's I, those are the stories I'd be telling and, right. and be all puffed up about it. But no, he wasn't that way, man. He was. Uh, you're right. He was he was almost afraid to name drop in a situation where he was totally justified. Oh yeah, absolutely. To name drop. Yeah, he was he was he's so blending fun. the whiskey yeah. for him. You know, so he totally was so fun. Yeah, he really was. He, um, wow. Uh, amazingly, he's had a pretty incredible uh, life and and career. He's. Uh, 
Uh, I mentioned he was a West Point graduate. He was the world's leading distilling consultant and did most of his business on a handshake. He lectured at nearly every distilling bartender and drinks conference in the world. And he was just, I mean, not only was he the, um, you know, the master distiller for 14 years at Maker's Mark, Mm-hmm. But then when he left, he started, oh, I don't know, just this company called Whistlepig, that, uh, where he was the master distiller and came up with the blends that made Whistlepig famous. There's nothing wrong with Whistlepig. Last weekend, had uh, some friends over, actually uh, Keegan, who works here, and his wife, uh, came over to the house, and we had just been kind of knocking around on, on email that day, confirming the... Uh, Confirming the thing that uh, had happened and confirming that we were getting together that night. And uh, so when they came over, I had procured uh, a very small bottle. I got it the last time I saw Dave Pickrell, which was when he was in town. Chris Hart invited us out. I think you had something you yeah, I was, had to attend that day. Yeah, I was busy on that one. I'm so sorry I missed it. Invited us out to a little hang at, uh, at Stogie's, and Dave Pickrell was there. And it was the same day as the whiskey sniff, uh, the, but uh, Dave was in town. And we uh, we met there, chatted with him for a while, and everybody there was like seven or eight of us there. Uh, everybody was there walked away with a small bottle of the uh, Whistlepig Boss Hog, the new one. Nice. Uh, so I had that sitting at home, and you know had just been hit by the news of of Dave's passing. And so when Keegan and his wife came over, we broke it out. we it was just enough to pour everybody a little bitty shot. I'm gonna tell you something. It was amazing. Yeah, see, and like I never, I haven't tried that. Some of the best, if not the best, some of the some of the best uh, blended whiskey I've ever tasted. It was unbelievably good. Wow. So, um, so, and I wish, and then I was thinking, you know, I actually wish I had saved it because I should have brought it in to the show today for us to do a toast to Dave and what he has meant to the industry. Well, oh no, what are we going to do instead? What are we going to do instead? Thanks oh again, no. to, again to Keegan, who was fortunate enough to share some of my, uh, to be able to share some of my uh, Whistle Big Boss Hog. Keegan came in to me today with this bottle of Blackened. <laughs> the new Metallica whiskey. And I, I have to point out I'm that, sorry, did you say Blackened? Yes, I believe I did. Oh, I opened the wrong thing. Too, too, too slow on the draw there, Ian. <laughs> so I, I will point out that uh, because we know that the guys in Metallica are, are you know, pretty, pretty hardcore. They're about, a little sensitive uh, about a little sensitive their about, music being out there without, yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. Paying for I probably so, owe them 50 bucks for whatever I just Well, did. I'm going to say 45 because that was just such crappy audio from the uh, little speaker in your phone. It kind of makes it better I, in some ways, I, you like, know, like <laughs> on, on, our, on our radio program. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like it adds a little bit of legitimacy to what we did. Well, as you you all know, if you're regular viewers and listeners to the show, uh, we spare no expense when it comes to sound effects and uh, and extra music, like when we talk about Blackened by Metallica. Okay, so... Uh, so I thought, Ian, before we go any further, let's let's just do a toast. We'll come back later and talk about what we taste in this. Uh, but I thought before we go any further that you and uh, Adam and I should do uh, a small toast with uh, with some of the uh, with some of Keegan's bottle of blackened. Uh, I think it would be an appropriate thing. For now, us this, to by do. the way, has been infused infused with rock with rock and roll. Yes. 
Yes, I believe that it has. Um, not only has it been infused with rock, but it's been aged. And Dave Pickerel, it even says on the front of the bottle, remastered by Dave Pickerel. That's awesome. That I love right that they use so. remastered. Yeah, yeah. So, um, by I the way, they've remastered that album, and it sounds a little better. The production on that album was always a little bit flat. Does it sound as good I, as I what you it. just played me over? That is the- actually the remastered version. <laughs> oh, okay. I can right, tell. Right. So, I can tell. Right, right. But, but you know, you get the, the phone speakers. Hold on. Yeah, the the production on that particular <laughs> I can't stop doing that. It's so fun. The production on that particular Metallica album was always a little bit um just a little bit flat sounding overall. Mm-hmm, um mm-hmm. the remaster is nice. Uh it's a great album. Mm-hmm. Like just beginning to end is a great album. Uh the the overall album tone and production was a little bit flat overall. The remaster sounds really nice. Brings a little more um uh, a little more presence to the whole sound. That's I'm curious nice. if we know if the guys in Metallica are are whiskey drinkers. I'm going to assume that they are on at least some level. I would have to assume if they've so. done their own whiskey, but uh, um, it's not something I'd heard them talk about before. You know, they should be watching this show since we're talking about <laughs> them too. <laughs> they, hey, I, I know their lawyers are watching it. And going, How much of that song? Did right, they, they already heard. A, they already <laughs> heard their name on there. <laughs> it's it's uh, it's funny. A very good friend of mine works for the company that uh, that manages them, and. Uh, uh, he says that they are uh, uh, wonderful people, and they are not. I've, I've actually met. Uh, I've actually met Lars, um, but um, but you know, yeah, they're notoriously buttoned up when it comes to the business yeah. side of things. Yeah. That's uh, that's just how they do. Dave Pickerel's passion took him from uh, project to project. He talked about it uh, when he was here. Uh, when when he was uh, on tour, basically supporting Whistlepig and yep. his other projects, that you know he sees the inside. He basically lives out of a hotel room and uh, only goes to his house a few days a year, and that's pretty much what he was uh, what he was doing with this whiskey black. And his vision was to use Metallica's influence to help bring back the forgotten category of American blends. Which kind of fell to the bottom shelf uh, in the 1960s. It was uh, a pretty big task, uh, but he, as he did with his other whiskeys, got out and pounded the pavement. And of course, Metallica is a pretty well-known band, and so it has sold yeah, out. Somebody's heard of them. It, it has sold out in most of the markets where it uh, hit the shelves. So. Good for them. Good for him. Good for them. I was actually pretty impressed with Keegan for having a bottle. So uh, <laughs> right there's that. <laughs> say, so, uh, so uh, Ian, I think. Um, I, I don't know. You know, he was just, he was such a unique guy. I think of all the people I know in the spirits industry, he was po- probably the most unique of them all. You know, He's he was, he a huge was a character. personality yeah. in the uh, in the industry. And what was funny is when he sat down here, he was just as, as down to earth as anybody we've ever had in here. Mm-hmm. Right. You would have expected, right. because he's so larger than life, you would have <laughs> expected him to not be quite so down to earth at the same time but he was so dave uh, wherever you are i hope that the uh whiskey is as good as what you left behind and cheers and cheers to you uh dave pickerel from whistle pig may you rest in peace and that seems like a very somber way to open the show but uh Mm. No, this is a celebration of it really is. what he does. This is so vastly different from anything that I've ever tasted. It's certainly different from, from Whistle Pig, isn't from it? From Whistle Pig. Yeah. yeah, this is amazingly different. This has a um It's it's interesting because um you know the uh the uh when you drink Jack Daniels it has that bitterness, I guess that mm-hmm. sour mash bitterness to mm-hmm. it. This has a little bit of that going on but in a very pleasant way. It's got a little more bite to it that you 
than you would. Yes, it does have some bite. So we'll come back to this whiskey. Oh, look, I'm going off on the last part of the show. Yeah, that's all right. We'll come back to this later on in the show and do a. you know, do a little bit of a a, a, a more in-depth tasting with it. Not that our tastings are all that in-depth, but you know what I'm talking about. Whiskey good. Whiskey good. Yes, that's, that's the way we. That's the way we have a tendency to go. Ian, I'm I'm trying I'm trying not to get too worked up about this, but I've just about had it with AB InBev. Oh, good. I thought you. Uh, I was going to tell you I'm totally wearing underwear. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm just about, you know, these guys are, you know, I don't know. You want to give them the benefit of the doubt because I really, really like a lot of the breweries that they have purchased. Well, Elysian, Carbach, uh, Goose Island. I mean, Goose Island, come on. This is, this is a legendary chapter of the history of craft beer in the United States of America, Goose Island. And this is this is a situation where a lot of times the kids make sense and the parents don't. You know, maybe you're right about that. That might be a good way to look. You know, at maybe it. we look at it that way. The problem is this: like, okay, so we've already, and I'm not even sure what you're about to roll into, but but I want to go ahead and, and lay this out a little bit right now. All right. Is you've got a company, and AB InBev, by the way, this is the parent company. They're Budweiser, who has basically. finally yeah. capitulated. To the point where they just started, okay, they see a brewery up and coming, they mm-hmm. just buy it. Mm-hmm. You know, they go, okay, well, we're just going to own you so we can make money off of you because we don't want you to take our 5% or 7% of, of the market, market that share, whatever yeah, it is, right? right? Exactly. I mean, Budweiser still, so, Bud Light's still the number one selling beer right. in America. Right, right. But they but they can't have someone else taking, you know, a third of a percent right, without just buying them a lot of times. So, mm-hmm. uh, so. Now you have a company that's doing that. Now they own a bunch of craft beer uh, companies that they're making money off of, and then they put out this this whole market campaign that makes makes fun of people who like flavor and want to not be like every other person. Right. The whole dilly dilly campaign. Right. What which, happened? What happened I, to be yourself? Right. Which I mocked, by the way, on this show when it first came out. Absolutely. If you remember, like a year and a half ago, it seems Absolutely. like. I was like, this is bad. They're, they're, and so I said, they're making fun of you. What does that say? What are they portraying there? You know, hey, you know, buy our craft beer. But we're making fun of you from it, right? Well, that's that's exactly Therefore, the point. Yeah. yeah, they're happy to take I mean, my that's money. Just, that is so. There's words for that, but bigoted mm-hmm. is the nicest one I can think of. They're happy to take my money yeah, if I want to go buy Carbach Big and Bright. They're not happy to take your money. You, they deserve your money in their eyes. Right. They, you owe them money because that's the beer you should be drinking. Well, if if you allow the breweries that they have bought. The products that those breweries make to be called craft beer, and there's obviously a lot of debate over whether it is craft if it's owned right. by one of the big guys. But I, I call it craft beer for the same reason that I call Red Hot Chili Peppers alternative music. It's not alternative music, really. No, but that's just kind of the label that's been associated. Well, with. alternative. It's, you know it's one I mean? of those labels that happened. Alternative music was right. the alternative to pop music, right? At, at that time, and or now alter- alternative or, music became or the, pop, or the alternative to you know straight ahead rock, maybe right. uh, at a certain time, or or classic rock. But yeah, but it, it became like a label. I resisted using that term for a long time, and then I realized uh, I shouldn't be so like you know holier than thou about it. Because if I say, oh, it's alternative rock, people go, oh, they know what I'm talking about. Right. They know what to expect. And uh, so, well, I, so I use craft it, beer for, 
Elysian and Karbak and, and Goose Island in the same way. Well, unfortunately, it becomes so overused, it becomes a homogenized label. Right, right. And, uh, and eventually, it just becomes it just becomes what we call it, no matter what it is. Well, if you allow that that is craft beer, the ones that have been bought by uh, Anheuser-Busch InBev, by AB InBev, then as of this summer, Anheuser-Busch InBev is the largest craft beer company in the world. Now, think about that. I don't want to think about that. They're the largest, unless that's no. And if you talk to the, uh, you know, the Craft Beer Association, Craft Brewers Association, they'll tell you it's not craft. No, they have to because they because label they away. have that. They have very strict guidelines about how much of the company can be owned by, you know, a major corporation and so on and so on. Well, now, <clears throat> despite the fact that they own these smaller breweries and and they lead. In sales of packaged craft-style beer, let's call it that, AB InBev still doesn't appear to be all in on this thing. In fact, they're now trying to dilute the whole category. Uh, there is a uh, an TV series on Instagram, a three-part Instagram TV series called Brewers on Tap, a show which includes interviews with founders of some of the AB, uh, ABI-owned craft breweries, and in... This episode, in the first episode, uh, they're talking to Jared Mitchell of Four Pines. He says, I think craft beer, and he's talking about the term craft beer, mm-hmm. will be gone in two years. What are we going to call it? Well, exactly. And 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 why does AB InBev get to decide, you know, why do they get to have this kind of influence on an industry that, I mean, let's face it. Beer sales nationally are down, but craft beer is up. Mm-hmm. It, it's been that way for the last, uh, I don't know, I, I was going to say three or four years. I think it may even have been longer than that. There is a huge trend happening here, and it's not going away. But I I feel like AB InBev now wants to dilute the word craft so that it doesn't do. so that it doesn't work against the ones that they own. Does that make sense? You know what they're going to do? They're going to dilute the word craft to the point where they can put on their commercials, "Well, we handcraft all our beers." Oh yeah. Well, and I'm and then all of a sudden Budweiser becomes craft beer. Becomes craft beer. Yeah. You know, and craft beer just becomes beer. And like <laughs> much like alternative rock just became just became pop, pop or rock or But it's you know, called whatever. alternative. Right. Craft beer will be just Beer. I don't know. It's just I'm I'm getting I'm getting really uncomfortable with the role that AB InBev is playing in all this. It'd be one thing if they just stepped back and said, like they did when they bought the breweries, "Hey, you know, we're going to help them get to the next level. We're going to help them with distribution. We're going to help them have access to the, you know, to the supplies and the ingredients that they need." That all seems to make a lot of sense. Hey, more. You know, more tanks means they can spend more time brewing the, those really cool beers that aren't their big, you know, sellers. I mean, that was always Goose Island's problem. They were so busy cranking out 312 Wheat Ale mm-hmm. that they didn't have as much time to work on the the really super specialty stuff that was their their passion. So, I don't know. I, I, I don't know. Maybe it's good for craft beer to go away. Maybe we just need a new a new phrase. I just don't know what that phrase is. You're you're it's, good with titles. And names. <laughs> <laughs> you know, you it takes me a minute it. to come up with them, though. I, it won't mm-hmm. happen today. I'll I'll think on this challenge accepted. I'll think mm-hmm. on this. What are we going to call craft beer when yeah. big beer takes over the name craft beer, and we have to have a name for we, beer that isn't you big beer? Have to call it something. You that's have to call it something. Yeah, maybe we can call big beer craft say. beer, and we'll just start actually <laughs> drinking beer now. Yeah. 
<laughs> Maybe just beer. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. We just drink beer. Maybe so. Okay. There's a lot going on in the show, including, by the way, um, I, I got to go back to the uh, FDA regulations uh, on cigar smoking. And I got to once again call the Nat Sherman people onto the carpet for the fact that they have uh, not come out and publicly said, hey, we're sorry. We, we support um, the amendment to keep um, premium cigars out of this legislation because that legislation if it passes some new figures out about what it will do to the cigar industry about how many jobs will be lost and about how many cigar stores may wind up having to close i'm terrified i'm, to know. I'm going we're going to get to that coming up and then that's that's why i'm saying guys we can pussyfoot around this thing and go oh i don't want to offend a friend i have that works there but your friend may not work there anymore uh, if it if it if it goes this way because a lot of things are going to be impacted. So, so I want to tell you about that. Uh, there is some good news in there, and oh my God, we got to find out what you smoked this week. I'm really curious because I always love hearing your uh, cigar reviews. And guess what we're tasting in addition to the black and uh, uh, from um, from Metallica what do we and got coming Pickerel. up? Lagunitas Brown Sugar Sweet Release Ale from Lagunitas uh, Brewing Company. Back Pew Brewing's Hapostle IPA is on the show today. And New Belgium has a collaboration with Knob Creek. It's called Oak Spire. It is a bourbon barrel ale. Have you tried the Oak Spire, sir? I have not. I'm very you curious. Have, uh, I've only tried one of these beers so far. Right, so I'm looking forward, to, uh, looking forward to trying all of these on the show today. And, uh, by the way, um, <clears throat> just, just, so we're, just so we're clear... A barley shortage could be coming that's going to make this whole craft beer thing, uh, you know, completely moot anyway. Because there could barley, short, barley shortage could raise craft beer prices. We made a... Yeah, that's a bet. That's, oh, that's, that's not what I was looking for. <laughs> it's the high-tech sound effects and Metallica soundtrack that make this show uh, <laughs> what it should be. And the, that's what I was looking for. Let's take a break, and we'll be right back. You're listening to Smoking and Toasting. It is uh, show number 113. Thanks for hanging with us, folks. We'll be right back. Welcome back, my friends. It's Smoking and Toasting, episode number 113. Uh, remembering Dave Pickrell, we'll talk about Dave a little bit, uh, a little bit more uh, later on in the show. But we do encourage you to go back and listen to or view show number ninety-eight. Dave Pickrell was on show number ninety-eight, and he's just you know he's fascinating and 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 uh, just just a really all-around great guy. I, I just I just love him. He was one of my, one of my favorite guests that we've ever had on the show. He was so much fun, and and that's saying a lot uh, because we have had both Chris Hart and uh, you know uh, Alan Denny, Alan Denny on, on the, show. the show. So so if you're competing with those guys, you, you're doing pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of Chris Hart, um, the. Um, the Houston Whiskey, Whiskey Social. Houston Whiskey Social is on. It's an event that you and I have uh, been to the last couple of years, have had just rave reviews of all the time. And the next one has been announced, and they're putting tickets on sale 
this weekend. You have you have the info on that? Mm, you I, know what? I, I, I can pull it up it, pretty quickly. I thought you had it uh, close by, and maybe we can share that because we wholeheartedly endorse and support uh, support uh, Chris Hart and his show uh, Whiskey Neat and the uh, Houston Whiskey Social. We think it's uh, do. one of uh, one of the finest events put on uh, with whiskey anywhere. All right, so the next Whiskey Social is here. Tickets go on sale just a couple of days this Friday. Exclamation okay, so that's point. tomorrow. If you midnight the show live. Thursday night is what they're saying, so okay. you can get there as soon as Friday actually happens. Um, it says we have added a lot to the uh, event, including a price drop on tickets and making the event longer. Mm, cool, a price drop on tickets and making the event longer. That's there. You where, know what? Where do you get so that? There. Their whiskey social has, in the last few years, buried every other whiskey event I've mm. ever been to. Absolutely. Absolutely, outside of being in like in, in a small whiskey tasting environment, this is amazing. And we were there at the last one. Did did a couple of live shot uh, things there. Absolutely, and, uh, which we made into a little uh, segment, which we aired <laughs> on the show, which was a lot of fun. That was pretty fun. But uh, but boy, you talk about everything good. I mean, they had amazing amazing variety of whiskey there. It was terrific. So uh, there's a couple changes for this year. This mm-hmm. year, they have partnered up with Fred uh, Minnick's Bourbon Plus Magazine, a brand new magazine for bourbon and subscribers. Mm-hmm. Um, subscribers to their email and guests to the Whiskey Social can get their subscription at a discount. That's pretty nice. Um, the event is out of the heat. It says set for uh, well, March right, thirtieth. Moved it to a better time of the year. Saturday, for, uh, March thirtieth yeah. at the Citadel. That's the place we went last time, and that was a great place. It was, but I will say, you and I went outside to the smoking area to smoke a cigar, and it mm-hmm. was a bit warm. Oh, it was so a bit warm. This will be perfect time. The smoking area was so nice, though, and they had lots of fans, so that was nice. Yeah. I think this this time of year is going to make a big difference. Uh, they've extended the event another hour. Mm-hmm. General admission now gets in at six p.m. VIP at 5 p.m. Uh, let's see here. Uh, there's a Pappy uh, tasting. Starts at 4. Uh, let's see. Tickets this year have dropped yeah. in price again. Brought back early bird ticket sales for November only. Save yourself 20 bucks by getting your tickets starting this Friday. All right. So where do you go to get tickets? That's the important well, thing. Well, let's see here. You can k- click here. Click here. Okay. <laughs> go to uh, go to uh, Houston Whiskey let's Social. Let's see what the ticket the site web. directly is. I think it's Eventbrite. I'm going there right now. It sure is Eventbrite. Eventbrite. Yeah, yep. you can find it. 2019 Houston Whiskey Social uh, Eventbrite. Is where the tickets are. I think you save like twenty bucks by buying yeah, the tickets and, early. And so. ticket prices range from sixty to two twenty five, depending on which package you want to mm-hmm. get. And I got to tell you something: uh, if you get in the door and you get to try all those whiskeys for sixty dollars, it's amazing. That is, I, you can't. Yeah, you can't like afford that much whiskey, right? Unless <laughs> you just have tons of money, like <laughs> because if you were to go to a whiskey bar and try, you certainly can't afford to try that much. Yeah, even know? a yeah. third of the whiskeys that they have available, oh, you're hundreds and hundreds you're, and you're, hundreds you're, of dollars. Yeah, you're, you're you're be broke by the end of it. Yes, it's, you are it's crazy. Mm. And it's just amazing. Um, such a great event. That one worked out pretty good. Oh, thank you. I hit the right button at that time. Yes, you did. So we haven't even talked about uh, what we smoked this week, but I wanted to break into, mostly because I was really thirsty, uh, I wanted to break into the uh, Lagunitas Brown Sugar Sweet mm. Release. Uh, it is from the Lagunitas uh, Brewing Company from Petaluma, California. And one of the things about, you know, a lot of beers have a little story 
or at least a little narrative mm-hmm. about, uh, you know, we take this kind of hops and, you know, that kind of malt and blah, blah. Lagunitas never does that. They never really tell you. <laughs> Other than the name, you never get much about the ale. So you just have to try it or the ale or porter or whatever it is. So you just have to try it and see what you think. So I love the name. It's a Lagunitas Brown Sugar Sweet Release Ale. And I think by sweet release, I think it's a, a limited. In fact, I, I recall seeing this in stores before, but I don't recall seeing it all the time. I think it's a so, seasonal. Yeah, so I thought I would grab us one. I do believe it's a seasonal. And uh, so I thought, uh, you know what, this would be a good time to try it out since, uh, you know, Lagunitas is one of the um, one of the easier-to-find IPAs, and, and they're almost like a go-to for me. Like when I go to a restaurant if I don't know what they have and they don't seem to have a lot of, uh, um, uh, you know, a, a lot of new and interesting things that I want to try, I, I will al- almost always default back to the Lagunitas IPA. So, uh, so I'm I'm a fan of that. But here we are. Well, with Lagunitas, the, like the, whole, the, the company, sugar. the company just makes great. They really do great beers anyway. So, uh, I just pulled it up because I figured, you mm-hmm. know what? And it, it says limited release. Da- it says brown sugar, dangerously slammable. Ooh, ooh. Well, now this is interesting because I will tell you, I just took a sip of this. I was expecting something a little heavier, a little, uh, uh, little darker. But what it's got is it's got all these malty, roasty flavors. I'm really curious for you to try this, Ian, because this seems like this might be... Oh, I'm familiar with this. Oh, you're familiar? Oh, yeah, okay. totally. I'm familiar well, with well, this. Well, talk to me, sir. You so I, I want to read this because this is hilarious. I, I'm on the website here. The ABV on this is 10%, mm. right? <laughs> <laughs> Originally a failed attempt at our 1997 batch of old gnarly wine, ale, resulting in an all-new beer style we like to call irresponsible. (laughs) (laughs) We believe the special ale is something unique, feeding brown sugar cane, uh, feeding brown cane sugar to otherwise cultured brewery yeast is uh, akin to feeding raw shark your ger- to your gerbil this is unlikely to ever occur in nature without human intervention yeah they, you know so. this i love the i love their uh takes on these things i've had this before that as far as i know they release it every year and i usually snap up a six pack or two of it because it is actually delicious it's mm-hmm. it's different from what you uh expect it is it it is what did you say it's, dangerously slammable it says dangerously slammable it kind of is it's got a crispness and a hoppiness mm-hmm. like you expect out of an IPA and kind of like what they have in an IPA but the hoppiness ends in a little sweetness at the very end of that a little bitterness. sweetness and then that's when you get the malt and the roasted kind yeah of flavors, it's really you know? interesting and uh and and the brown sugar influence in here is so interesting because it really rounds out uh rounds out that that hoppy I think you're right snap on the end. You're right. So in, it is in a way that, yeah. It it's almost like a hybrid of like a brown ale, something with darker, more malty yeah. things, and something like a pale ale. Yeah. You know, like if you really mix the two together. But isn't it interesting that it started as a mistake? Yes. A I failed, think that's fantastic. a failed batch of something else. But when you taste it, you go, Man, that's it's delicious. Now, that being said, keep mm-hmm. uh keep this in mind. It is a big beer. Yes, it is a big because you said it's ten percent. Yeah, that's ten percent. It's actually higher and than the And it doesn't uh, drink like a huge beer. No, either. it doesn't. It drinks more like a more like almost a I don't know, like an Imperial IPA got smashed with a brown ale. Mm-hmm. It's something like that. It's it's 
interesting. And well, fun. Uh, now maybe we know why they didn't do the whole description thing. They just <laughs> what was this? brown sugar ale and and, and <laughs> called right. it a day. You know, I like that um, they just call it irresponsible. Irresponsible. That's I like. Fun. it. I saw you went back for seconds. On I did. That. I had to like go that. back a little more. It's quite well. It good. has that. You know, if you're a hophead, this has plenty of hops in there to well, keep d- you. Yeah, it does. Keep you uh, keep you enjoying it. Um, I think. And, and if you're malty like I am. Mm-hmm. I'm a multi individual. Mm-hmm. Okay, if you're multi like I am, you're going to enjoy it because the 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 hot flavors are there, but the malt surrounds it and and what's interesting, the whole yeah. Thing what's out. interesting though is it doesn't finish with the hot bitterness. Instead, it finishes mm-hmm. with the malty and kind of burnt caramel sort. Which of is an interesting yeah. trick, by the way. Right, I was going to say so different from how you would have expected that most beers that combine those flavors do the malt. Stuff right. up front, and then the hops come and, and get you uh, later on in the in the finish. But uh, very interesting. Well, at ten percent, that's quite an opener because actually our the New Belgium Knob Creek, which I thought would be our uh, closer, the uh, Oak Spire <laughs> Bourbon Barrel, I think that's only nine. So, <laughs> so it should be interesting to see where we go from here for the rest of the show. Ian, ordinarily in the first segment, I will ask you this question, and I didn't because we were talking Dave Pickerel and so many other things. But uh, did you happen to? smoke anything uh, interesting lately you know it's funny you should ask that because i actually did yeah uh quite a few things actually but the one i'm going to talk about today i stopped uh you know i meant to uh, i had a cigar set aside for today Mm -hmm. and uh and i'll uh review that for next week um uh but uh i didn't get a chance to smoke it and then um on my way from work to here today i had just enough time to swing by lone star cigars which is out on the north side uh, Cypress or Tomball area. I'm mm-hmm. not sure what they call it right there. Those guys are so nice out there. I have a few other friends that uh, shop out there. And I picked up a few cigars. So today I ended up uh, uh, snapping up a... Um, oh, hold on. Where do I have it here? I have all my information on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I'm blanking out. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm, I'm actually... Okay, yeah. so here it is. So I had an Esteban Carreras. I had the uh, Mr. Brownstone. Oh, nice! Now this is an interesting thing because apparently the the company uh, the company's gotten a little uh, a rash of shit because Mister Brownstone is a slang term for you know heroin. Mm-hmm. Um, also, the names of the cigars, the cigar sizes, are also slang names for heroin. So, so they've gotten a little backlash. I can yeah, they got a little bla- backlash from it. But I will tell you this: uh, I truly enjoyed my cigar today. It started off with a very coffee. Um, coffee espresso uh, notes on the uh, on the pre-light sniff. The wrapper is oily. I like I like the oily kind of toothy mm-hmm. kind of wrapper. I do too. Like, I'm the like, same you way. feel like you can mm-hmm. chew on this for hours mm-hmm. and it'd be fine. Absolutely. And uh, and it was a, a little uh, a little veiny, uh, not super smooth, but nice feeling. You know, like felt solid, like leathery kind of oily kind mm-hmm. of leathery feeling. Uh, the pre-light draw on it was just earth and and mocha and. And, and mostly coffee with some pepper things. When you light it, the pepper comes right up front. Mm-hmm. Like, this is a full-flavored cigar. From the moment you light it, that pepper hits you right up front. The pepper backs off a little bit after the initial light um, and then remains the entire rest of the way. But this is a full-flavored cigar. Now, the one I bought was, uh, I think it's a 4 and 3 quarter by 46. Okay, so this is their smallest size. And I figured, you know, I'd have time to... To, to smoke and drive it in. It took a long time to smoke, actually. Really? I was sitting in your parking lot out here. <laughs> <laughs> finishing up that enjoying cigar. Enjoying Enjoying it, right. Yeah. Um, so it actually smoked longer than the size it was. The mm-hmm. nice uh, 
nicely about it. You know, the whole the, I, I had perfect burn. I'm in my car with the sunroof open, and I had perfect burn. Nice. Um, uh, the the smoke from it was really nice. The the flavor didn't develop into much. It actually stayed about the same all the way through. It's not a super complex cigar. Mm-hmm. But if you like coffee and you like uh, mocha and you like pepper, you are going to love this cigar. It's, I like all those things right. in terms of cigar flavors. Right, really and do. it's and it's a little one-dimensional in the fact that it doesn't really develop into anything. The pepper mm-hmm. kind of floats out a little bit, floats back in, and, and stays for the rest of the cigar. The rest of the flavors are pretty solid there. The burn on mine was absolutely perfect. Uh, even with my sunroof open and driving in my car in traffic, the um, the first third of this, the second third of this were the same. The third third might have ramped up a hair, but by that point in time, you've got enough of that flavor in your mouth. doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I didn't even have it with beer. I had it with iced tea. went fantastic because nice. you know, I was driving. And then, um, and then by the end of this cigar, I thought, wow, I could actually smoke another one of those. Wow. So I'm going to give it this. I'm yeah. going to give it a five and a half, and I'm giving it a five and a half because that's exactly how many dollars it cost me. Five and a half. It was five and a half dollars, mm-hmm. which is a pretty inexpensive cigar for how much I enjoyed it. Um, it's worth every single penny of that, but it's a small enough cigar. If you're going to go, you know what? I only got a half hour to smoke. Mm-hmm. That's a great cigar to pick up. You know, uh, sounds like overall it was uh, a very good experience. Absolutely, absolutely joyful. Are you worried at all? I don't think so. I'm not like. I kind of did want a second one almost immediately. I was going to say, because from what I have heard about Mr. Brownstone, is like, you'll be chasing that experience forever and never quite be able there to There was a dragon it. while I was driving. Okay. That's, that's, that's so awkward. There you go. <laughs> uh, but well, I could never catch him, so yeah, I just, well, see, it's finally like, I was like... It's probably best that you did <laughs> You were driving, after all. I was driving. Uh, How about I, yourself? I had something really interesting uh, this week. I had the Espinosa Habano Number no. 5, which is a Toro, uh, was one of the cigars that I got in my assortment from the Stogie's uh, Big Smoke. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was one that I was not as familiar with, although I went online to look for some information. I saw a, a photo of, and I took a couple of photos, which I think uh, Adam will put up here, of the of the Espinosa. But um, I, I went and saw a photo of an older version of the cigar with a different wrapper. And I remember thinking, uh, I'm sorry, not a different wrapper, but a different band. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, oh, I, I've seen that before, maybe even smoked one back in the day but uh apparently the band was updated on this a couple of years ago and uh it was a very nice looking cigar it's a nicaraguan puro with uh, a nicaraguan habano wrapper uh on the pre-light a little bit of earth and uh some nuttiness i used to punch foot of it lit up easily and then interestingly enough there was a little bit of harshness kind of like right off the bat you ever do that like like some cigars seem to handle the torch lighter a little mm. better than others do uh and you don't get the harshness this one i got a little bit of, it didn't worry me and and i'm glad because after the first you know quarter inch or so it totally settled down but a lot no of more a lot harshness. of cigars start out that way mm-hmm. sometimes yeah. the that's why the initial light flavor i always talk right. about the initial light because sometimes you get a flavor that you're not expecting or something that burns off pretty quick right right Right. well that that was exactly in in this case it wasn't that pleasant of a first couple of puffs but that's all you know once i got you know even just like a eighth to a quarter of an inch in all that harshness dissipated and the uh, flavors of the smoke started uh, the cigar started uh, coming through so it settled down pretty quickly um i started picking once the uh, harshness uh, diminished a bit i started picking up some uh, very pleasant cedar notes some of the nuttiness that i was mm-hmm. getting on the pre-light came through and a little bit of a of an also pleasant sort of a grassy wheat 
kind of a, mm. a an aroma to it as well. Not necessarily my favorite thing in a cigar, but it worked well in this sort of balance and 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 uh, this sort of thing. By the time I was about halfway in, it started coming on with this pepper, and it left this very not like overwhelming, but enough to leave that little tang on your tongue. You right, know what I'm right. talking about? And I particularly enjoy that. I that's one of the reasons I kind of like when I read this cigars. You know, a little bit on the peppery side. I always kind of like make a make a mental note that maybe one I want to try because I love that little tang. It's on the interesting uh, that you say that because if you go back to some of the first shows, which were you know some of the first shows we did many mm-hmm. many years ago, like twenty five <laughs> years ago or something. Like yeah, that. I think that was when we started. <laughs> <laughs> Not that long ago, but just a couple years ago. Um, I wasn't into the peppery cigars as much. I remember that. Yes. And what's interesting is I've learned to appreciate that pepper. And that's, mm-hmm. it's just one of those flavors that's grown on me, and I kind of mm-hmm. get it now. And I'm still not reaching out a lot of times for very peppery cigars, but I don't mind a cigar with some pepper in it now, well, like nowadays. I'll, yeah, I'll be honest with you. You know, the first flavors I remember from cigars when I first started smoking, I was smoking, you know, milder things like uh, Romeo and Julietas mm-hmm. and Macanudos, is I remember sort of the creaminess and nuttiness. Yeah. But the first flavor I really remember when I sort of, when my palate started to develop that I really kind of latched onto was the pepper. Mm-hmm. And and I was always looking for things that would give me that little uh, tang on the tongue that I enjoyed from uh, those type of things. So I think of it as one of the more basic of cigar flavors. It is it is one of those. But not one that I have grown tired of. And you see, know? for me, that turning point was uh, from my mild cigars to the bigger cigars mm-hmm. is I, I started liking the more coffee and mocha flavors, mm-hmm. the more chocolatey mm-hmm. flavors in there. As I uh, smoke this thing, and, and you can see this in, in the photos, I don't know if Adam put those up already or not, but uh, it burned in a very nice uh, straight line all the way down, uh, so construction was terrific. I had read online some complaints about the wrapper cracking, but I had no problems with mine uh, on this one. Uh, draw was just about perfect. It was definitely the fuller-bodied experience that I was expecting from a Nicaraguan uh, puro. And by the way, the pepper thing is almost synonymous with Nicaraguan cigars. Right, yeah, you know, you, you're going to get some pepper, it feels like, on just about anything from Nicaragua. Especially if you get that Jalapa wrapper that's so yes, yes. So, so peppery. So this is a 6 to $7 cigar. I feel like it was well worth it. I'm going to give it a 5 and a half to a 6 Nice. Uh, I enjoyed it very much. It wasn't like a... It didn't like... Uh, you know, caused me to go out and you know start a new religion or anything, but it was just a uh, it was just a real pleasant, nicely nuanced, but straightforward enough with enough pepper on the tongue that it really really gave me a pleasant smoking experience. And I found myself saying, I guess I should probably have one or two of these in my humidor. So there you go. I'm going to give a random shout out too. The other night uh, I sat down and I had a, a Romeo. Oh, Romeo and Julieta. Yeah, Romeo and Julieta. And uh, it was a Churchill size. I just happened to have it in my mm-hmm. humidor, and I thought, I'm going to go out for a beer, and I'm going to have this cigar. And you mentioned it earlier when you said, you know, you used to mm-hmm. smoke the Romeos. What a great cigar that is. It's a great, it's more straightforward yep. than the things that I now think of as my favorites. Yep. But if you go back and light one of those up and just kind of sit well, back with it on a on, on a nice, uh, cool evening, it's wonderful. It's funny because I get so buried sometimes in the craftier cigars. Okay? Yes, absolutely. 
And forget about sometimes some of the biggest mainstream cigars that made cigars great. You know, this and happens. Romeo is one of those. This happens in the cigar industry. And happens in the craft beer absolutely. industry too. Uh, uh, not too long ago, I was out at dinner, and the beer I decided to order from the menu, uh, the one that looked the best to me based on what their selections were, I ordered a Samuel Adams Boston Lager. That is a damn good beer. It is. It, it is. is a delicious. Deli- and it's a lager, no less. Like you name me anybody else who makes a lager that tasty and delicious. I can, off the top of my head, there was like, only one that I know of. And yeah. guess what? When AB InBev bought them, they stopped making it. Oh, I know what you're going to talk about. You're going to talk about uh, sympathy for the lager yeah. from Carbell. As soon as soon yeah. as AB InBev bought it, they were like, no more of that. You know, that's something that if you are a listener to the show, if you've got some of that sitting around somewhere at your house. Ian might be willing to trade you something <laughs> really cool for it. I don't know how well I don't know how well it. it yeah, I don't stores, know how it would keep. Yeah, that certainly was a good beer. All right, I don't know how well we'll store either. Right. But, uh, <laughs> uh, I am going to uh, take us on a break here. We will be right back. Coming up, we're going to taste the uh, Apostle uh, from Back Pew Brewing. Plus, we'll get to this. Um, uh, we'll get to this Metallica Black, and I really want to talk about this because I got I was getting some very interesting notes on this thing. So, uh, coming up in the next couple of segments, we will do some more taste of uh, Metallica's new whiskey mixed by Dave uh, Pickerel or remastered, I guess, by Dave Pickerel. Blackened. That is so hard to listen to over that phone speaker. You're like my wife. She's always trying to play me stuff on the phone. I was like, we'll get home. You can play it for me later at home on the stereo. That's hilarious. We'll be right back. It's smoking and toasting. The, the funniest thing about it is Oh yeah, oh yeah, they're terrible. Like anytime people are like, "Hey, listen to this." No, seriously, it just like no, I can't stand it. Email it to me, I'll listen to it. Right. <laughs> Welcome back. It's Smuggin' and Toasted. We are so glad that you are with us for the 113th edition of the show, which means there's 112 of them that you can actually listen to. And then there's that lost episode that our old producer Bobby wouldn't let us put out. So um, you may know, you may have noticed we now have a new producer. So uh, these things happen. Uh, we are so excited to be brought to you by uh, B&B Butchers and Restaurant at 1814 Washington Ave in Houston and the shops at Clear Fork in Fort Worth. Um, B&B was the site of the very first... Uh, and and very exciting uh, whiskey sniff, which happened uh, about a that month ago. That was so much fun, oh, man! I had such a good time. I had such a good time, and I had people actually come up to me. Of course, there were some real like whiskey fans there who really knew and who were really appreciating all that was available to taste and stuff. And then I had some people that uh, I knew that were total whiskey novices, and uh, one of them actually came up to me and, uh, at the end of the night and said. Thanks for showing me what good whiskey tastes like. That's awesome. And I was like, okay, my work here is done. <laughs> you know, like, it just made me feel so good, you know? Um, so uh, so we appreciate everybody. That, also, uh, that uh, you know, and that. I forgot to mention last week, due to a typo on our side, mm-hmm. um, Nick Talamantes was oh, on the show. And, okay. and, and we continuously... Um, pronounced his last no. name incorrectly. This is my fault. I'm the one that did that did the typo, and I, I was taking him. a bullet for you. Yeah, I appreciate that, but I'll <laughs> you know I'll, I'll own up to this. Nicholas Talamantes. Uh, I think the entire show I spent calling him uh, Talamantes. Ta- uh, uh, yeah, without the Allah. So just right. Nicholas Talamantes, I think. And he was such a nice guy that he never even once corrected me. And then like after the show, when I realized. Oh, man, I called him the wrong name. So, Nicholas, you are hereby invited back. 
well, you'd have been invited back anyway because that Four Roses is really good whiskey. <laughs> that, was, that was that was a blast. <laughs> oh boy, we had fun with yeah. that. But uh, but no, Nicholas, you're hereby invited back, and to all of Nicholas's friends and family and coworkers, yes, he was here. It was really him. He did uh, he did the show and represented well. And but, no, he didn't change his name to make it easier for us to spell. <laughs> yes, exactly. That was just that was we, just we, me. We we totally. Uh, uh, Totally changed his name a la Ellis Island. Hey, let me ask you a question. <laughs> My wife's awesome. She never bugs me about this. But does okay, your, that is true. Does your wife oh, that's about, about her being awesome? Okay, yeah. 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 Uh, does your wife ever uh, uh, ask you about like how much you're spending a month on cigars? No. No. Okay. Good. But I sure wish you didn't say that out loud because I bet she does after watching this <laughs> oh, show. Okay, well, okay. dang it, Cruz. Tiff, if you're watching, just you know, forget about it. I have some. I have some really, really, really good <laughs> drinks for you to try the next time I see you. Your 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 tabs on me. No. Uh, well, here I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna rescue you. you ready? <laughs> All right. What you got? I don't I don't care how much Ian is spending on cigars. He ain't got nothing on Rudy Giuliani. Oh my goodness! Tell me about it. Well, the uh, the divorce that he's going through, he's uh, Rudy Giuliani, of course, former mayor of New York, and mm. he's uh, Donald Trump's attorney. Uh, and or in one of Trump's cases, I guess Trump spends a lot of time in court, or, or at least people representing him do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he and his uh, very high-profile wife have, uh, have split up, and they are divorcing, and that always means that um, a lot of financial information comes out because it's in the documents. According to... The divorce documents, a five-month expenditure by America's mayor, Rudy Giuliani, included $12,012 on cigars. Rudy is my hero. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't vote for him before. I may now. <laughs> He's my hero. Uh, $12,012. Spent in five months on cigars. Although, if that seems extravagant, he also apparently spent seven thousand one hundred thirty-one dollars on fountain pens. So I don't know. Uh, I don't even know how you do that. But uh, maybe it was one really, really expensive. Could be one just one amazing yeah. pen. Yeah, could be. But in any case, twelve thousand and twelve dollars. So I'm pretty sure you're in the clear here. Uh, Ian. <laughs> I don't. I probably don't spend near. I'm guessing near not that quite. amount. I'm guessing not quite. But uh, but but thank you, Rudy. Um, all right, I think it's time for another beer. It's uh, the back. You Brewing Company. These guys are from Porter, Texas. Are you familiar with? Porter? Uh, you know, I've had a few of their beers actually, okay. and um, and they're, you know, they're they're good drinkable beers. I haven't had anything that I ever thought was uh, anything low quality. Their stuff is all good quality. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to remember the names of some of the ones I've had from them. Well, um, they they all have this uh, sort of a church kind of a a little bit, yeah, a vibe to them. The way that they're marketed, I, I really like their marketing. Drink like a sinner, it says. Drink like a sinner, <laughs> uh, and this uh, this is described as an angelic appearance. A devilish disposition, brewed in the style of the classic American IPA. Uh, this ale's dry profile brings out its full potential. The malts don't weigh it down, instead acting as as an altar at which the tropical yet piney hops make their flavorful offering. So it sounds it's, pretty it's interesting. That, it's, that, it's that kind of a vibe, and Hopossil, of course. And you know where Porter is, right? That's a Houston yeah, suburb, yeah. basically, so... I'm gonna pop the top on this baby, and we will uh, we will try some of this now. 
<clears throat> for those who may be newer to the show, um, I'm generally more inclined to be a fan of the IPAs, but Ian does like them depending on what they well depending on what they're like. You know, you, so, you like okay. you like let's, very balanced. Let's IPAs. start with let's start with a hierarchy here, okay? Okay. So up at the top is beer good. Okay. <laughs> All right. See, I like the way you start this. Right below this that is why you're my friend is malt good. Okay. Gotcha. And after that is beer good. Okay. And that's it. That's like that's how it works. So hops doesn't get a position. Uh, doesn't get a rung on your ladder. It's that's on the third rung. Oh, so you said malt. Well, it's be- actually on the first and the third rung. Beer good. Malt good. Beer good. Okay. Where's hops? It's right there in the third rung. I said it all. Beer good. Oh, okay. So you're saying that like, that yeah, yeah. Hops, everything. That's that's everything else. That's everything. It's not malty. Gotcha. Okay. Gotcha. So you're you're saying malt is the only thing in your uh, view <laughs> that gets to stand out and get its own category. I just I just love big malty beers. Okay? I, I, I really understand. do. I love I love the malt flavor overall. Um. So so for me, malty is just a little bit above the rest of all beer being good. And, and as I, long as it's good beer. Yes. And I'm a fan of the hoppy beers. However, I don't like them if they are too. Harsh, I guess, on the hops. What if they're made in giant vats all mm-hmm. over the country and they're triple hopped? It really depends on what it tastes like. I mean, <laughs> was, I, I would sorry, just say, that to me was a joke because that's that was one of the uh, one of the big big brew companies. Our beer is triple hopped. Oh, triple hopped. Well, yeah, okay. So I, I, I apologize. I didn't get the reference, but my my point of view on this is that I like hops, but I don't like it to overwhelm. I really prefer things that finish without quite as much bitterness. So I have a tendency to really like the juicy IPAs and the New mm-hmm. Englands and things like um, um, you know Yellow Rose uh, um, Lone, from Lone Pine. Brewery. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Things that that finish real clean have a balance to them. So. Uh, so let's take a gander at the Hopossible here. I'm interested to see what you say. Hmm. Well, Ian, I will tell you that my first um, blush on this is I'm not crazy about it. Um, I'm going to go ahead and put myself right in that same category. My first blush on it is, is that it sort of falls, and I think there is a style of IBA drinker that would really like this. So it's not like it's a bad product by by any means. Just, but for my palate, I find it a little bit on the pine coney side of uh, of the IPA spectrum. Agreed. And there's enough IPAs out there now that you don't have to go to this flavor if that's what you're what you're looking for. Uh, there's probably a contingent of people that really look search for this particular flavor, and mm-hmm. uh, and that's okay. To me, this is pine coney and perfumey. Perfumey is a good way to describe it. Yes, um, it has a perfumey kind of aftertaste to it that I don't really dig. Um, I I like what it does when you first take a sip. I agree. It but comes on pretty crisp. It comes on nice and crisp with a little little malt roundness to it. But then the finish to me is just too much pine cone. This um, is this is not one of my favorites. This is an example of what I often am speaking about when I talk about the fact that it can be really difficult to smoke a cigar with an IPA. This would be terrible. This would destroy cigar. all cigars. It would destroy all cigars. And and really that that means I probably wouldn't stock it. You know what right. I mean? Like uh, the, just that that alone. I mean, there are enough like really hoppy IPAs out there that don't finish quite this bitter that if I'm in the mood for that, I'll go get, you know, the Jabberwock from Lone Pint or I'll get um you know, like the uh, uh, even something like an Alyssa from St. Arnold yeah. is is a hoppier beer. It finishes a little more bitter, but I, I feel like it's 
I feel like it would still go better with a cigar than this. this the, the the biggest thing about this one I find is there's not enough balance in the flavor. Like the flavor, it, it comes on nice and then immediately is is knocked over by this aftertaste that's pine coney and um and and too perfumey for me. Fascinating. Uh, and it may be you know my palate, but to me this isn't one I'd probably go out and restock. Yeah, I think I think you're right, Ian. I think that this is um, not. Quite not quite there for what uh, for what I would be looking for. I think. Uh, by the way, there is a uh, New York brewery that <laughs> that has petitioned Congress to make Election Day, which we just had here in the U.S. I was going to ask you about this. By the way, holiday. And the way they did it was they sent empty beer cans to the Capitol. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Now, I'm just going to say this. The uh, brewery in question is uh, the Blue Point Brewery in uh, on Long Island. And they launched their Voters' Day Off initiative with the hopes of getting more Americans to the polls. So there's so many eligible voters who can't make it to the polls for all different reasons. So they're thinking that if it's a uh, national holiday, it'd be easier for people to get out and vote. Now, I kind of support that, but uh, I will just say to Blue Point Brewery, if you really want to make an impact on this particular issue or any other issue, try sending full beer cans. They would be DC more influential, yes. Instead of empty ones. That's all I'm saying. Or you can send them to me, I'll empty them for you, and then I'll send the empties to DC. It would work either way. Uh, yeah, I would lobby for it. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was interesting. I, I I think it actually is, you know, we get days off sometimes for stuff that's not nearly as noteworthy right. as Election Day. Election is a big deal. You're it about, should you know, be a big deal. You're talking about, you know, helping to decide the future of the people who are going to lead the country. So, yeah. Uh, yeah so, uh, so uh, again, and, and think about it. You could go and vote, and then there'd be like, like think of it like kind of like Cinco de Mayo, except you'd vote. And then you'd go meet your friends and have margaritas, right? You know, I, I, I think I think the margaritas and political arguments, yeah. Or, and maybe maybe they should hand out you know like uh, um, uh, brewery samples as you're waiting in line to vote on voting day. That would be a good. Thing. <laughs> I don't know. All right, we're going to take a quick break. and We're going to come back. We still have to taste the uh, New Belgium Knob Creek. Uh, collaboration. It's called Oak Oh, I can't Spire. wait to try that. It's a bourbon barrel age. But before we get there, we want to spend some time with the uh, new Metallica whiskey, which is called Blackened, a blend of straight whiskeys finished in black brandy casks and remastered by the late Dave Pickler. That, that is just so annoying coming out of those little speakers, I have to tell you. Uh, we will be right back. You're listening to Smoking and Toasting, show number 113. <laughs> That's what music sounds like. Fidelity. <laughs> Welcome back. It is Smoking and Toasting, and we are so glad to have you here for show number 113. Uh, we are remembering remembering Dave Pickerel. More on Dave in just a moment. Uh, we're brought to you by B&B Butchers and Restaurant at 1814 Washington Ave in Houston and in the shops at Clear Fork in Fort Worth, Texas. Oh, we got to go there. Yes, we do. It's it's in the plans. We just haven't made it yet. So, But we will. I promise you. We will we will get there. Um, so an interesting uh, tasting in the last segment of Apostle uh, didn't come off as my favorite IPA. No, that's, I, that's you know, sure. and I we... we, we I hate to use the word bash because it's a little harsh because it didn't hit our palates the way uh, the way I'm sure the uh, brewery would have loved it to. However, they do make uh, good quality beer. The other one I was trying to remember was Seder Swill. They make one called mm -hmm. Seder Swill that's a Bach, and it's oh, outstanding. It's a Bach, yeah. Yes, yeah, mm, interesting. And if I see Backview Seder Swill, I will 
almost always buy at least one can of that. Interesting. Even if they even even if they have a huge expanse of beer menu, that's one that I always go for hmm. when I see it. So so you like it that much? It's good. I do. I, I really good. really enjoy it. So I didn't want to just hate on Backpeak because I really like their products. Well, and um, but this particular beer is not to my palate at all. And you know, the, it, it's always interesting when you do a show like this because I mean we're not here to bash people. I mean that's not w- what it's about. And yet I think it's important that we don't pretend to like everything just because it's made by good people. Yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, it it kind of takes me back to the whole cigar argument about the uh, uh, about the, about the regulations and, and the fact that, yes, I know there's some great people that work for Nat Sherman. I get it. Nat Sherman, Nat Sherman's kind of like, you know, uh, a Carbach or a, uh, an Elysian or a, or a Goose Island. They're owned yep. by a big A big cigarette company. A big cigarette company, just like, you know, those smaller brewers are owned by the big Budweiser Beer Company. And it's, uh, you know, it, it, it's tough. I don't want to hold Carbach responsible oh, for the... Uh, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> I don't want to hold Carbach responsible for the sins of, uh, of Anheuser-Busch. You know what I mean? Right. One There's of our good people uh, that work at Carbach, I know some of those people. I, I love their beers. One know? of our uh, uh, listeners piped up on our um, on our Facebook Live, Paul May. He said, "You have to remember that Nat Sherman is a cigarette company that happens to sell a couple of cigars." Well, and that's really just about right. I yeah, mean, there's, uh, there is that. You yeah, know? it's a very that's, very that's small huge. portion of of what they do. But you know, since we're talking about this, let me just let me just jump into it, and then we'll uh, and then we'll have some blackened. But um, the new FDA regulations could cost us 25,000 United States jobs, according to a new study uh, that was just released. Um, if This is if the regulations go through without the exemption for, um, uh, for premium cigars and the FDA's final rule is uh, put into effect the way that it is. Additionally, the report found that the FDA cigar regulations could force nearly 500 handmade cigar retailers to close their doors. Ouch. 500 across the U.S. And they're basically saying... That's a lot. Well, yeah. The re- how many of those people... How many of those people that own those cigar retail companies, that was their dream? There's like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to open, gonna open shop. this little cigar shop. I'm going to put everything I have yes, into this because absolutely. that is the dream. The American way, right? Yeah. You know, that this, just makes me sad. This report is called The Public Health, Financial, and Employment Impacts of Excluding Handmade Cigars from Coverage by the FDA's Final Rule. Uh, it was conducted by Magnum Economics, which is a Virginia-based firm that specializes in producing objective economic analysis of government policies. Uh, they use data from the uh, FDA's uh, own analysis released in May 2016, as well as more up-to-date uh, government data. They say using the FDA's own cost ag- estimates, the regulations would likely cause 85 to 90 percent of domestic cigar manufacturers and importers to go out of business. Mm. Now, that's that's people who are producing manufacturing cigars in the United States. 80 to 90 percent, 85 to 90 percent would go out of business, and it would be at a cost of over 3,500 U.S. manufacturing jobs and almost 1,800 jobs at U.S. importers. And then they also say that about 320 to 338 manufacturers and importers uh, would also be forced to close. The study also examined how these regulations may affect retail tobacco stores, and the outlook, they say, is grim. According to the FDA's own estimates, 5 to 50 percent 
of all SKUs, the little stop keeping units, that's what they call like every different um, item in the line yeah. is a different SKU, right? The barcode. Um, yeah, yeah, so uh, 5 to 50% of all the SKUs would no longer be offered for sale because the cost of the final rule would make producing them unprofitable. Unprofitable. That's unbelievable. So think about going into a humidor, like your favorite cigar shop, and it's filled with cigars. Now imagine walking in, and there are 5 to 50% more empty spaces on the shelf. Bum. That, that's Bummer. Yeah. What do you even say yeah. to that? Yeah. The expected reduction in the number of handmade cigars on the market due to this final rule is also likely to cause the closure of approximately... 500 tobacco retailers and the loss of as many as 19,800 U.S. retail jobs. So, guys, this is why I get fired up about this issue. This is why I'm not giving Nat Sherman's parent company, Altria, I'm not giving them a pass on this just because they go, oh, well, we didn't really mean that when we said that we support the FDA. Say, yeah, you did. You may have outlined how you'd like to see it uh, laid out, but if that thing goes into effect, this is what we can yeah. expect. Not your pie in the sky. Maybe the government will see the light of day and just do the right thing anyway, despite the fact that the uh, has the, has the government has done that before. Oh yeah, it happens all the time. Uh, all right, we better switch to whiskey before I get worked <laughs> up. And <laughs> Alan Denny, uh, you know, like uh, blows a uh, an aneurysm or something. So, um, okay, so uh, I wanted to go back to the blackened um, uh, to the blackened whiskey. Oh, that was an interesting sound. Um, blackened from Metallica. Go ahead. <laughs> blackened is Metallica's own whiskey. But it was blended and manufactured by a master whiskey blender, Dave Pickerel. And let's remember that some of the, some of the bottles of Boss Hog retail for about five hundred dollars a bottle. Mm. This is not that expensive, but this is the. Do the, we know the retail cost on the this? The talent that we're dealing with, you know, because I didn't buy this, I'm not sure. I want to say oh. it's around eighty, but gotcha. uh, but uh, but I'm not sure. We'll look that up. Maybe somebody who is uh, uh, on the Facebook chat will uh, will chime in and let us know. That'd be nice. I want to I want to say it's eighty or less. Uh, but I'm not completely sure. Um, I know we're drinking some of Keegan's uh, Blackened here, so we may owe him, <laughs> we may owe him a little something, something. Right. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but thank you again to Keegan from the office here for have, having a bottle of this, which really bailed us out on today's show. So um, we we did a toast to the late Dave Pickerel, who passed away in San Francisco uh, last week. Um, I found out about it the day after the show. Same here. Um, uh, was immediately bummed. I thought, oh man, I wish we were doing the show that day so that we could, you know, totally talk about it and and you know share our, our thoughts and our memories of Dave. Um, but a week later, I find it's still in my mind, and uh, and I, and that's that's the kind of personality he was. He was just big and and larger than life. And if he were here, he'd be you know hoisting a glass with us now. Um, what are your thoughts on this uh, blackened by Metallica? Is um, this is this uh, Metallica pre the Black Album or is this Metallica post the Black? This album? This is back when Metallica rocked, I think, okay. and I think that's what they mostly infused this with because it's, it is called Black, and it's yeah. not called Saint something or another. <laughs> Saint, 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 Saint It's it's not the Godfather Part Three that we yeah. just don't talk about. <laughs> <laughs> mm, mm. Um, 
No, I, you know, I, I have to tell you, I think this is it's a pretty good whiskey. I, it, like, the nose has a lot of that uh, charred oak. It has a lot of honey. Yes. It has a little spice to it. Maybe maybe it's cinnamon. There's almost a little um, a little kick of maybe, uh, uh, maybe a fruity note to it on mm-hmm. the very... Very very edges of it, it's it's I interesting. It, I find it very drinkable. Like it's it if it, it, it seems like a contradiction, but it's got a little burn to it, and yet it's very easy drinking. It's got at the more same bite time. than what I would expect mm-hmm. because you know none of the whistle pig has bite like that, mm-hmm. and this seems almost like it has this intentional uh, uh, bit of bite to it, so well, that you know. You Dave know. had said he wanted to be able with this brand, he wanted to be able to really refocus people on blended american whiskey so fascinating this to me um it has a a lot of good character to it it's it's you know it's interesting because it's a it's 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 thin it's not particularly oily it's not a lot of things that we've discussed in whiskeys before it's Mm -hmm. it's got a little of those things uh, what is the ABV on? Is this uh, a straight up forty? Uh, straight up for, uh, forty-five. Forty-five. So, so it's slightly overproof. Yeah. yeah, yeah, slightly um, overproof. You know, it's coming from Dave Pickerel, so you know it's going to be a good quality. Like, has that guy even made a bad whiskey? Well, I, I was going to say, even if you go to just standard Maker's Mark, that's a good. That's a great that's whiskey. A good, yeah, good, good yeah. whiskey. Right. It's uh, you know a lot of people get down on it because it is such a big brand. I think sometimes that we talked about earlier, you start overlooking some of those big standards when you get into more boutique or more. Um, mm-hmm. Hold on, what did you call the beers earlier, Adam? Uh, oh, indie beers. So we got to come. Because come craft back to that beer, in a minute. craft beer has been taken by Macro Brew now. So, right. so we're just going to call it indie beers now from now on. Okay, so we'll, <laughs> we'll come back to that in this just is, a second. But this was Adam who came yeah, up with no, that. No, it's perfect. But you, so this uh, this uh, has a very crafted um, and specific kind of flavor to it. That it does feel like a micro know, and, distillery and whiskey, doesn't? it? Back to what I was saying about uh, about. Um, about Maker's Mark is is that's a great whiskey. There's nothing wrong with that nothing whiskey at all. It's, yeah. it's great drinkable whiskey on its own. It's great for mixers, um, and and we we tend to overlook some of the bigger ones when we get into these craft brewery uh, or craft um, distillers or craft you know cigars mm-hmm. things like that. We forget about the big brands, but some of those big brands. Well, you were just talking reason. about how much you enjoyed the Romeo and Julieta. So, yeah, yeah, exactly. I went back to that last week and really truly enjoyed. Sat there mm-hmm. and had it. it was a Churchill, so it took forever, mm-hmm. and it was a delicious cigar, and that was fine. I really like the honey and uh, oak notes in this. Yeah. Just pretty straightforward, but then on the finish, it's much more complex. If you made Jack Daniels, uh, just the standard Jack Daniels, into a super excellent whiskey, that would this it would, would be, kind of taste like that. This would be kind of that profile, uh, like Jack Daniels, the regular black bottle Jack Daniels. I'm not a particularly big fan of. Uh, after what I just said about big brands, that one in particular, and I'm not a big fan of. However, I love their single barrel and I love a few others. Mm-hmm. This, to me, uh, it seems to be like if you took that and said, hey, we're making a better version of this, and it's it's this is, you know, good. All right, when we come back for our final segment, uh, we're going to be tasting a collaboration between New Belgium Brewing and Knob Creek, the whiskey company. They have collaborated on Oak Spire. It's a, uh, uh, it's a bourbon barrel ale. Uh, it comes in at 9%. We'll be tasting that. Plus, I believe that our um, our producer, Adam, has solved the problem of what to call craft beer. Yep. 
I gave it away. It, Sorry, it's perfect. No, yeah, I, no. I'm glad you reminded me because he came up with it in the break, or yeah. that's when he told us, and and then we <laughs> we wound up talking about other things. But I'm telling you. He's got it right. Indie is what it should be. Uh, that totally works. So we will be back. You were listening to Smoking and Toasting, and it's show number 113. <laughs> Indie brew. On the beach in Hawaii. Welcome back. It's Smoking and Toasting. You are uh, listening to the program uh, that has uh, won zero awards, but we're still trying. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think we've put I'll in love, for any awards. I'll, I'll, no, we haven't. But I love how everything is award winning these days. You know, you're watching, like, I've seen some stuff on TV that's uh, award winning, and I go, why? Well, you are an award-winning uh, radio show host. Well, I suppose, yeah, I've won an award or two in my There life. you have it's, it. Yeah, it's been a while, but uh, yeah. Wasn't for this crap, I can tell you that. <laughs> no. Honestly, this is more fun than anything I've ever done in radio, so I can just tell you. Uh, let's see, which would I rather do? play uh, Do this or play Cardi B records over and over? I think I'd rather do this, uh, but I digress. Uh, welcome back. It's Smoking and Toast in show number 113, Yellow Rose Whiskey in the house. Uh, next week, I think, with, uh, with Jason Valentine, I think we had a little communications mix-up. We were expecting him this week, but that's okay. Because we had a lot to do on this week's show, and so I believe he will be with us on uh, next week's show. In the meantime, we are brought to you by B&B Butchers and Restaurant at 1814 Washington Ave in Houston and in the shops at Clear Fork in Fort Worth, Texas. And uh, there's um, – uh, okay. So we talked a lot about this early on in the show about the uh, uh, the dilemma of what to call craft beer. Mm-hmm. Uh, because I think here, – here's, here's what I'd like to see because Adam came up with the perfect name for what – we are currently calling craft beer. Like, mm-hmm. it can't really be craft if it's owned by a larger company. But the problem with that definition is that once you do that, not only do you wind up excluding, um, you know, beers that are made by, you know, Carbach and, and um, a lot of the uh, different be- breweries, great small breweries that were bought by AB InBev, but you also then have to think about you got to exclude Ballast Point. And mm-hmm. you got to exclude, um, I think Lagunitas, and you got to exclude. Um, uh, depending on how how hardcore you want to be about where the definition is of how much you produce and and where the ownership is, you may have to even exclude uh, Samuel Adams, which is it's one of the biggest crap brewers in in the world. So here's here's the solution. I I vote we take on Adams' term. For what we now call, craft I love beer. how he just offhandedly nailed it. Yeah, too. He, he did. He, in in one of our breaks, he said he said indie beer. Like, indie beer. Let's call all of indie the brew. stuff we're talking about indie beer, or indie brews, and that will be the guys that are not owned by the big guys. So St. Arnold here yeah. in, in Houston is an indie beer. No beer, by definition, by any stretch of the imagination, that is owned by a bigger company can be an indie beer. Right. Right. There's no way you could Can't qualify happen. for the definition if if you are owned by a bigger company. However, the... That being um, said, they did water down uh, alternative music by definition pretty far. <laughs> okay, but but we're not talking about that right now. We're, uh, no, but the Still other, bitter, man. But but the other thing is uh, if, if what you dig is space dust, 
IPA by Elysian Brewing, which is an amazing beer. Yeah. Like, you don't have to, or Wicked Weed. Wicked Weed, like one of the craftiest of all craft beer companies yep. that ever existed, is now owned by AB InBev. And fine, we can let it be craft beer. We can let it be craft beer. But it can't beer. be indie beer. But it can't be indie beer, because it's not indie, and, and it doesn't it doesn't try to pretend to be. Because I get, to some degree, what the brewers are saying. If, if you are the brewmaster at Carbach or at uh, Wicked Weed or, or one of these places, you're still in there busting your ass yeah. to make the best and coolest and most interesting beer that you can make. That right? your giant conglomerate parent company will let you make. Right. Well, okay, but yeah, sure. I mean, they've made, we've tasted some great stuff from Absolutely. all of those breweries. I mean, and you can't tell me Ballast Point doesn't make some of the best IPAs in the entire business. Not They're disagreeing amazing. with it. They're amazing. But Stone gets to be indie beer. Mm-hmm. Ballast Point does not. But Ballast Point still gets to be they craft They can still beer. be craft. Right. I, like I don't know. It. I think this is worth championing. championing. I, think, I think it is. This is our new thing. It's kind of what was that show that used to be on Nickelodeon? Clarissa solves it all, or whatever. Uh, this is Adam solves it all. <laughs> He's come up with the perfect solution. So, uh, so I didn't hear anything like that from Bobby. I'm just saying. All right. Yeah, yeah. Bobby, love you wherever you are. Love you. Uh, okay. Uh, it is time, Ian, to break into. Lay it on me. Is New Belgium uh, the guys that do Fat Tire? Are they? Indie beer? You know, I, frankly, I or don't know. Are they, or are they just craft and not indie? Well, frankly, I just I, I don't I, know. You know what? It's getting to where I'm confused now because some of my favorite, uh, I think, uh, I know that Founders is indie. I know that, um, wow, I don't know about you. Have you seen this show that uh, has been on Netflix called, uh, I think it's called Adam Ruins Everything? Oh, yes. I, I haven't seen it, but I've seen the... <laughs> I've seen the promos. He for talks it about the craft beer thing and how a lot of craft beer is made by. He just calls them all Miller Buds. <laughs> <laughs> well, it can still be craft beer. It just can't be indie beer. Ooh, indie beer, nice. Take a little whiff of that. I'm going to just pass that over. This is the uh, Oak Spire. It's bourbon barrel ale from. It smells crap. The fine people at New Belgium, right? So you can't tell me, and we'll look in and see if uh, if New Belgium is owned by one of the bigger companies or if they're independent. But let's just say they are. You can't tell me that this isn't craft beer. Yeah, what someone took to care taste. with that. No matter right. where it came yeah. from, someone took care with that. Absolutely. I'm going to look up New Belgium right now. Okay, uh, New Belgium. Oh, maybe if Google. only there was a device I could yeah. ask. If you could only Google New Belgium ownership and something would come up, yeah, that would be interesting. And maybe the same device would play really tinny Metallica songs on its little speakers. It, you never it know. Does, it does it, that. It could happen. <laughs> you know? It could happen. Uh, all right. So I'm pouring this new uh, New Barrel uh, New Belgium Oak Spire. Uh, it's nine percent alcohol. It's made in collaboration with Knob Creek and the fine folks from New Belgium. And it says smooth notes of toffee, vanilla, and caramel. And it is a special release from two craft pioneers. All right. So I've always been a fan of new belgium but mm-hmm. uh i'm a little well, more now new belgium's I, main brewery is in fort collins in 2013 new belgium had some 480 employees and more than 180 million in sales it has an employee stock ownership plan mm, nice and became a hundred percent employee owned oh so they are as indie in as indie can get yes and they make such uh, one of my That's favorite super indie 
fresh beers. Like if you're gonna have a mm-hmm. super fresh beer, mm-hmm. the New Belgium Fat Tire mm. is an amazing beer when you get it fresh. So if you get west of about El Paso, Texas. Um, fat tire seems to pop up everywhere, kind of like Shiner Bach does in Texas, where you can all, all, almost always get a cold Shiner Bach. And fat tire is just absolutely delicious. It has a chocolatiness to it that, in my opinion, you don't get in most blonde ales. They describe tire. it too as a biscuity freshness too, mm-hmm. and I have to agree that bready kind mm-hmm. of biscuity. Yeah, and you're right, chocolatey. There's a sweetness but, to it. But so blonde good. ales, you don't expect chocolate mm-hmm. notes in blonde ales, and it works so well. Oh, Talk about a beer that goes well with cigars. Oh, yeah. Fat Tire uh, uh, from New Belgium will definitely go well with cigars. But this time, the New Belgium folks, employee-owned since, what, 2000 and what? Um, since 2013, I believe it said. Okay. Like full owned? employee owned. Yeah, I love that. So they're as indie as indie can get. This is their collaboration with Knob Creek. We've had a number of Knob Creek uh, whiskeys on the show and loved them. Um, Ian, talk to me about what you're tasting here, my friend. It's interesting because my initial sip of this, mm-hmm. now keep in mind I've had whiskey and I've had uh, a few other things going on here. Mm-hmm. My initial sip of this, I went, you know, at... at I'm not getting a whole lot from it. Then I took a second sip, and I went, oh, there it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is a lighter ale than I was expecting to be a bourbon barrel ale. It's it's substantially lighter than, and even in color a bit, mm-hmm. substantially lighter than what I was yeah, expecting as a bourbon barrel you're ale. You're right. It isn't even quite as dark, I think, as the um, brown sugar that we had earlier. Right. In and, and so it was interesting because this, and it drinks a lot lighter than that. So I think part of my... Part of my initial response on this was, mm-hmm. you know, it's one of those times where you're you're going to take a sip of Coke and you get Sprite, mm-hmm. and it it makes you like, wait, wait a second. Which you know? doesn't mean the Sprite's not good, just means you right. Know, your so I think I think that's what I just went into, and I had to uh, 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 reorient myself for it. On second and third sip of this, this is actually quite good. It's a lighter, uh, it's a lighter ale that has a ton of Knob Creek flavor in it. I'm definitely getting some of those. Like, it tastes almost like a beer with Knob Creek just in it. <laughs> which, which might be an interesting thing to try. In some yeah. ways is is kind of what it is because, you know, obviously it's collaboration well, it's with Knob Creek. it's finished in those barrels, yeah. Well, I think, honestly, I think they got both flavors in there and they did a good job of doing it. It also says on here, smooth notes of toffee, vanilla, and caramel. I can go with the toffee. Um, vanilla is a little masked, if you ask me, um, but that could also be because we had the uh, whiskey earlier. Could be, yeah. Um, and caramel is a little bit there. It's a little sweet, but I almost get that uh, toffee more than anything. I'm getting a little of the baking spice uh, yeah. vibe. And just a little of, uh, in fact, the first thing that hit my palate when I took the first sip was some of the dried fruit, the date and and raisin. See, and now I don't get that as much now that I've had several sips. It's but. not as big as I was expecting. It is, however, and here's the really scary part. This is very drinkable, mm-hmm. and it doesn't taste that big. It's 9%. And it's 9%, yeah. This could be a very scary beer if you're just like, here, have a couple of these. Yeah, yeah let's throw back look a couple it. of bruisey and come on over. Yeah. <laughs> no, you're right. I mean, this is, you know, I was reading something very interesting this week. It was talking about, uh, it was a, one of the craft brewers um, that was being interviewed in an article about craft beer sales, or as we might like, well, let's just say craft beer, which is indie beer and uh, crafty beers right. owned by the big boys. So uh, he was saying that with overall beer sales down that being the the sort of bad news for the beer industry but craft beer sales 
up. But what's really up is the dollar amount that's being spent. So his theory was, was not only did craft beer have a tendency to come across at a higher price point, yeah. but also that as people graduate from, you know, natty ice to, you know, uh, trying out porters and stouts and bourbon barrel aged ales, that uh, they move from like throwing back beers. To sipping them. To sitting down and so enjoying they're going to have a, a beer that's A, more expensive, but B, they're not going to drink, you know, they're not. it's not about sitting and drinking eight of them. It's about having one or two, sharing it with friends, and enjoying the the flavor. I'm loving the, the long-term aftertaste on this Knob I was going to say, Creek, uh, uh, yeah. The collaboration. It's actually really interesting. I think that my initial response is I expected this to be, just this is a, this is a light to medium bodied beer. This mm-hmm. is not a big right, we, full we, body beer. I was almost expecting one of your uh, infamous Ian, you know, chunky beers. Yeah, you expect it to be almost sludgy. Yes, you know, exactly. and it's not. It's, exactly. it's kind of light and delicious in its own mm-hmm. way at nine mm-hmm. percent. So uh, there's Still very don't few know beers. if I'd have it around the pool in the summer, but <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean. Uh, but it almost tastes like you almost could. would. Yeah, almost, <laughs> it's, it's really, really close. It's really, really close. Ah, uh, well. The uh, Indie Beer Special. Mm-hmm, the Indie Beer Special. I like it. Uh, we have found the new name, and so uh, hats off to hats off to Adam. That was awesome. All right. Um, I want to wrap up the show here. I want to mention that we believe we will have uh, Jason uh, Valentine from Yellow Rose Distilling on next week's show. And we want to thank Nicholas Talamantes. Anything can happen for if being, you just believe. Yes, that's right. And I do believe. I want to thank Nicholas Talamantes for being on last week's show. And we've had quite a run of guests here, quite a run of whiskey guests, actually. Um, but I don't know if any whiskey guest has ever really impacted us the way that Dave Pickerel did when he was on the show. And so with his uh, passing away last week, and by the way, the cause of his death is not known. I mean, uh, I, I will tell you, it's no secret, Dave Dave enjoyed his life. I mean, he was a guy that loved drinking whiskey and, and uh, hanging out. But like, uh, and all the times I've seen him, he's always been, you know, seemed in complete control of his faculties, didn't seem like there was an issue of any kind. But, um, but certainly... Um, he was a bigger guy, so he, you know he, he he had that going for him. But you never know what strikes yeah. with with these type of things. So, um, Dave Pickerel, you were a master blender, a master distiller. You left us with um, just some truly amazing products in in not only the things that you did and left behind, like Maker's Mark that we were just talking about earlier on the show today. Uh, but also the things that were your final passions, Whistle Pig and the new uh, Blackened from Metallica. Should I pause for you to... Uh, uh, <laughs> I wasn't, it, it I wasn't exactly yeah. ready for yes, that. Yes, I know. Do, should I, should but I, I can come? be in moments. I, I was saying Whistle Pig and Blackened from Metallica. Almost as if it was on cue. <laughs> I don't know. I think Ian, I'm starting to get, uh, I'm starting to get a little bit of appreciation for the lo-fi uh, version <laughs> of, uh, of Metallica. There, it makes you want to have that one speaker in the middle of the truck uh, dashboard. Oh yeah, totally, totally. With just <laughs> the AM that? radio. With the oh, AM radio. Great. 
Well, Dave Pickerel, you have uh, you have left behind some amazing things. I'll tell you, Ian, the the Whistle Big Boss Hog is as good a whiskey as I've ever tasted in my life. It was it was to me the whiskey equivalent of what I, being a more of a tequila guy, uh, get with something like the Reserva de la Familia mm-hmm. or one of my absolute all time favorite whiskeys. I mean, it was just it was just in the zone. I was like. Oh, why bottle so little? Uh, but, <laughs> right. You know, that would have been fun to uh, to nurse that baby all night. But, Dave, um, thank you for what you left behind. Thank you for being a guest on our show. We uh, love and appreciate you. Uh, we will see you for the big uh, whiskey tasting in the sky uh, sometime soon. We salute you uh, to round out show number 113. Thanks to Adam on the wheels of steel and uh, ideas of gold. Uh, and we'll see you next week for episode 114 of Smoking and Toasting. Have a wonderful week, my friends. Dave, rest in peace and cheers. Cheers.